Hey, this is Dave Pryor for the Reluctant Agilist on projectmanagement.com. I'd like to thank them once again for being a sponsor of this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a tool. So I, I well, we're going to talk about more than that, but in all the classes that I do, people always ask about tools and I'm always like, all the tools are horrible because they all want to use tools to do agile, but there's a whole other kind of tool and they're focused on how to figure out what you could be doing better and how to assess where you are with your kind of path towards agility. And I'm probably explaining it really horribly. So I'm going to welcome Jürgen Hesselberg to the podcast. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. This is exciting. <laughs> and I'm excited that you have a really good <laughs> mic, which is very cool. Um, so I, I'm just going to let you explain it. Can you tell the folks what comparative agility is and, and kind of what makes it unique in the market? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be, I'll be happy to. And I guess I can kind of talk about the general philosophy first and then maybe a little bit about the story behind uh, comparative agility, how it kind of, kind of came to be, because I think that's, that is that's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely part of it. So the philosophy behind it is the whole idea of that agile is not something you become that agile is something you become more of. So the whole idea is that, you know, agile isn't a destination. It's a journey. It's something you continuously improve over time and whether or not you're more agile is really the, the point. You have to continuously evolve and, and, and kind of change the way you work. And to do that, you need some sort of way to know where you are. And you also need a way for you to continuously sort of measure those things and have intelligent conversations around topics that are important uh, when it comes to agility. Uh, and that's exactly what this is. Continuous uh, improvement is, is at the core of this. And that's what we call comparative agility, sort of the world's largest agile assessment tool and a continuous improvement platform. Okay. Um, We've done this, uh, well, in terms of the story here, is that it's actually kind of old. Uh, comparative agility was actually established in 2008. And, and that is old in agile uh, language, right? That's but like, that's about the time that people started doing, like they went from just walking in and like, that smells weird to like, here's a series of questions and things we're going to look at. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And that, that's, that's exactly why it was created. It was created by Mike Cohn and Kenny Rubin. And they uh, obviously and If you are, don't know who they are, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, that's what I say. I mean, they're <laughs> among my heroes. Those guys, they know what they're talking about. And they were doing, this was relatively early in their consulting career, and, and they needed some way to, to help their teams because uh, a lot of the, the questions that came up all the time was, are, are we agile enough? I mean, are, are, we, are we going somewhere? Does where we go make sense? And where do we need to focus our efforts? Those things are hard questions to answer, especially if you have many teams. If you're, if you talk in an organization with, you know, 20, 30 people, you can probably look around and a great coach can very quickly sort of see where the main issues are. But imagine that you have an organization with 50, 60, two, 300 teams. Yeah. Where, where do you go? Uh, and, and what's the strategy here in terms of that transformation effort? That's really, really hard. And, and you need some data, you need some tool to help sort of guide you along the way. So, so the way I discovered it, um, I, was, I was doing a, a major transformation at, uh, at Navtech, which uh, later on became uh, Nokia or was purchased by Nokia. And uh, we had about 120, 130 teams. And I had that very problem. I, I was just, okay, I have teams in Mumbai, I have teams in Chicago, in Berlin, in Boston. And my leadership kept asking me, okay, we can see things are happening here. We see some objective metrics. Where are you going? Where, where are you going to focus your efforts next? Is this going to be more of a technical focus? Are we focusing on teamwork or culture? Or, it's too easy to say all of it, right? You can just say, yeah, yeah everything. <laughs> We're going to do everything. 
you needed to have a strategy and a roadmap. And that's why I was looking for something and I found a comparative agility. And back in the day, back in 2008, 2009, this was mostly spreadsheets. So it wasn't super fancy. It, it was a, just a really, really good survey, but it was all spreadsheet based. And, and I contacted uh, Kenny Rubin, who was mostly the dude who was kind of, uh, I guess, administrating it. I mean, he, he became really big. As you know, his book came out a couple of years later. And once that happened, uh, when Essential Scrum took off, he, he just became way too busy. So, so he, he just really didn't have a lot of time to make that tool updated and kind of current. And I kept bothering him. I kept sending him emails and saying, hey, <laughs> add this feature. Can you add that feature? And he's just like, hey, man. Why don't you add it? Yeah, why don't you add it? Why don't you, just, why don't you buy it? And that, that essentially is, is what it ended up uh, being. So I, together with uh, my partner, Almer Drugovic, we, we purchased the tool in 2015 uh, and because, because we believed in it. We, we've used it. I used it at Nokia. I used it at um, Navtech and later at Intel. Uh, and I, I just really believe in it. I believe that as you start looking at agility across the entire organization, you need this type of tool. So, so that's why we bought it. And then we changed it completely. We, we still kept all the data, of course. We kept the questions. Uh, and then we started expanding it. And now we're, we're really going from being a tool to being a platform. Uh, we call it kind of the Spotify of continuous improvement. Uh, you can find all sorts of interesting capabilities or surveys on this platform uh, things from inspired teams to, you know, DevOps to culture. I mean, all sorts of different things that yeah. is necessary for, for, for agility to happen is in this, uh, in this tool. So can, can you talk about, before I start asking you questions about it, yeah, can yeah. you explain the data and the value of the data with this tool? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Cause that, that is really key. And I think, you know, I, I love the way you start the, the podcast when you say, hey, you know, the whole idea of tools and how harmful those can be very often. Yeah. And I think we've all been in those environments where you just say, hey, why, why don't we just use a, a simple scrum board and not one of those funky tools. And, and here, or buy Jira and then you're agile. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, just, that's it. That, that's it. You're done now. No. So the, the, the thing that, that this is, and, and I, we're very careful to sort of point this out, is that this tool does not give you any answers. But what it does, it allows you to ask better questions. And, and as a coach and as a change agent, I mean, that's kind of the essence of continuous improvement. You don't end here. This is the start. So having these, having these answers from people, the, the teams have a voice now suddenly where they can, in an anonymous fashion, tell you where they're struggling. They can tell you where they're doing quite well. And they can also tell you through the data where they are not agreeing with each other. And that can be really useful uh, to, as a coach to understand because very often that's not something people are comfortable talking about. Yeah. I mean, you can observe behavior and as a, as a good coach, you can, you can make a lot of inferences that way. But I think when people have a chance to think about how they work and be really honest, knowing that they're safe to, to, to express exactly how they feel about these things, you as a coach will have a lot more insight and, and can adjust your approach uh, accordingly. So that, that's the main thing. And then once you start doing it, you can start benchmarking yourself to yourself. And, and that's where I think it, it becomes very powerful, not just benchmarking yourself against other teams in your industry, which could be useful because I think very you often- You can do that too though, right? I mean, you can look absolutely. at anything. And, okay. I, and I think that's really important because I think very often people just think of agile as a thing. And, and agility is very context specific. I mean, if you're a cloud company, 
the level of agility is going to be very different if you are in a utilities industry or a healthcare industry. I mean, you have very different constraints. Yeah. So it's not fair. I think very often we, we, we create some unnecessary headaches when we say, hey, we're all going to be Spotify, you know, and, and you say, well, hey, I, I work for GE, you know, how, how are we going to be Spotify? Uh, well, how about you compare yourself to other companies in your industry and then let's see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's part of the value here. This is great stuff. So I want to, I want to try to put this in context and see if you agree with this. So yeah, please. when I was doing coaching, um, I would get called in to do assessments and we started out where we would just go in and ask people questions and figure out what smelled weird and tell them what to fix. And then we started to use questionnaires that we would work off of and then try to provide them some kind of reporting about it. But that was still only within the company itself. Um, now, as transformation has evolved, a lot of companies will come in and do this, but this would give me, like if I'm somebody in an agile transformation group or, or whatever within the company, like in the PMO or maybe C-level, I could bring the tool in and have the teams do a self-assessment. We could look at that. And then if we contact a company to help us figure out how to do transformation, we've already got a couple steps down the road and we can actually start to have the conversation of why do we want certain things instead of just what do I need to do to be able to crawl? Yes. Yes. You, you nailed it. That, that is, that is one of those value propositions. It's sort of, I think very often consulting firms and nothing against consulting firms, but that is one of their, their weapons, sort of speak They come into you and then they make an assessment and that assessment is made often by the consulting firm. So there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there because that also becomes sort of their, their input yeah. to a you number of different business opportunities. Yeah. So, so this kind of turns the table a little bit and says, well, why don't we use a third-party tool? Because that's what we are. We are we're third-party. We have no, really, really have no dog in the race in the sense that comparative agility is not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to sell you uh, coaching services. We're yeah. not trying to sell you certifications. We're not trying to sell you, you know, the work that comes out of this. What we, what we sell you, for lack of a better word, is insights. And then how you use those insights and how you want to invest your efforts, maybe bringing in consulting firms, because I think that would be very appropriate. Uh, that's what we give you. So as change leaders, and, and you know, that was the situation I was in, I needed this because then, you know, what I would find out very quickly is that let's say technical practices becomes an issue, for instance, that I'm not the guy, I'm not going to be a TDD guy. Right. So I'm going to bring in people who have that expertise, but I'm not going to do it until I actually know there's a problem. Instead, you know, I don't want the consulting firms to tell me that I want to know that myself because ultimately I do believe that the company should lead the transformation consulting firms can help but i think it needs to be owned by the company yeah i think i think i agree with everything you said i think another you know since you brought up tdd like it's really easy to get wrapped around the axle of we've got to start doing 15 minute stand-ups we've got to start doing tdd we've got to do these practices and lose sight of like why you know it's yes. i was at a place a couple of weeks ago where there the whole thing was we have to switch to kanban and we kept saying, well, why? What do you, what's the reason for that? Well, because Scrum doesn't work, so we have to switch to Kanban. And I'm like, okay, why though? Like, why do you have to do anything? What, what's the point? And there was no answer. So this exactly. would like be a more informed consumer that can have more mature conversations with the agents you're working with. 
Yeah, and 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 they and that's the whole idea. The conversations that come out of it. It's those insights. Uh, it, it just suddenly we start asking why, and we start asking why isn't this working for us? You know, maybe maybe there's other things we can do around this. Why isn't Scrum working, for instance? I think it's very often people sometimes uh, give give Scrum a pretty bad name, and they're not really doing Scrum. You know, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> people do that. So, so they're giving something a bad name and calling it Scrum. Right. And, and then, so what we, if you do an assessment and you see that, okay, stand-ups are not being very effective, we're not doing retrospectives, we're not taking actions on the retrospectives. I mean, all those kind of things become very clear. Uh, and then you say to yourself, well, maybe we should try to do that first before we say Scrum isn't working. Yeah. Uh, this is another thing I like about this tool because, you know, I think some, some of the, there's a lot of assessments out there, sort of uh, Nokia tests and things like that. Yeah. And those are useful. I think those are great ways to kind of get started as a checkbox. Like you have a product owner and do you have working tested software, those kind of things. But I think what's more useful, I think, is not just to sort of say, are we doing these things? It's kind of to say, how effective are these things? And compared to others, so not, now we're not comparing this to a theoretical standard, we're comparing it to the real world. Compared to the real world out there, to what degree are we doing these things? That becomes more real for me, it becomes more practical. So that's why I like the idea of comparing yourself to other benchmarks and, yeah. and ultimately to yourself over time. So I could say, like, let's say I work at a bank, I don't really need to compare myself to a bunch of like software startups, but comparing myself to other banks, that's worth doing. That's right. That's right. Because the, you could be pretty clear that those banks are probably suffering through a lot of the same constraints. Oh, yeah. So okay. it, it makes it more context aware. Can you give like a quick walkthrough of how somebody would use it? Yeah. And I mean, that is, that's a great question because that's kind of, this is, this is a process and it's one part of a continuous improvement strategy. So what we typically recommend you do is, you know, first, make sure the communications are clear. Like you, you got to talk about why you're doing this. Cause I think there's a danger of survey fatigue. <laughs> I'm sure you've yeah. Been, yeah. been in that environment. I was there certainly. Uh, Cause there's so many surveys, people ask uh, employees, all sorts of things and very often nothing happens. So uh, that's a danger. So the first thing we always recommend is that, Hey, before you even do this, get executive support for it, make sure that the executives understand why we're doing it. And also that we are prepared to take action based on what the, what the the feedback is and then communicate this to the organization and say hey we're going to do this survey here's why we're doing the survey here's how it's going to help you uh, essentially what's in it for you uh, and then here's when you can expect some results so, so sort of that's done first so let's say you've done that then then you actually set up the infrastructure and that's kind of where you set up what we call collectors uh, and this is where I, I probably could have showed you this on a, on a video but uh, very very quickly what, what a collector is essentially is a repository of data uh, collected at the team level. Okay. So once you, once you have that data, which essentially is the survey that you send out per, per team, you have a snapshot of how that team is doing at that point in time. So how many, so I send out this survey to the teams, how many questions in the survey? So wow. you can actually choose, I mean, the, the standard uh, comparative agility survey, there's many capabilities or surveys that we have, but to use comparative agility, there's 67 question okay. in the original survey but you can also choose to to cut that to whatever so it's going to take me like an hour maybe an hour and a half to fill out no 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 you'd be surprised oh. uh we see that it takes on average between 15 and to 20 minutes 
to, to finish a survey. Okay. And does the whole team do it together or they each do it individually? They, they are, another great question. There's two ways to do it. We, we recommend actually doing it individually. Um, okay. And there's some drawbacks to each. So let's say you do it, sort of that, that pizza example, because that's typically how people would do it sometimes. They say, hey, let's just buy a bunch of pizzas and everyone shows up in this meeting room from 12 to 1 and we'll do the survey together uh, and, and still have people do it individually, but we do it in the same room. That's great. You have a high response rate that way. But then sometimes you also get some groupthink. And sometimes yeah. people start comparing answers and I'll say, well, well, are we doing really continuous integration or not? And, you know, stuff like that. Um, so so I, I'm not a huge fan of that, actually. What I prefer is that we send it out and say, hey, you know, why don't we get this done in the next three days? Uh, here is a phone number to coaches you can ask questions about if you have any questions about the survey. Uh, here's some office hours that we have. Uh, and then let's see if we get this done uh, on Friday. Uh, okay. People send it out. You get a response rate. Typically, the response rate is relatively high, but we say try to aim for something around 60 to 70%. If you get okay. that, that's pretty good. Uh, I like this because then people can actually be honest and kind of do this in, in, in a safe environment in their home or they can do it at work privately. You, go, you get a lot more nuance that way. Yeah. So, okay. so yeah, so that, that's sort of the first. So you collect all the data, you got that. Next step then is to start doing the analysis. And the cool thing about the analysis, and this is where you can really geek out, imagine that you have this collector now and you have one collector per, per team and you have say 10 teams. You can now start doing all sorts of interesting comparisons. You can compare a team to the world index. Uh, you can do a team against uh, a certain industry. You can aggregate all the collectors and say, how about our organization as a whole? How are we doing against the industry or against the world index or, or other programs over time? You okay. can do all sorts of nice ways of slicing and dicing the data. And that as a, as a coach, it could be really useful. What we always say then is try to find the narrative. You know, look at all this data, but don't get overwhelmed by it. Find the narrative. What are the couple of things that the teams are trying to tell you through the data? Yeah, that's kind of the, the first step there. And so you can set like a baseline, like before you bring in somebody, before you start the effort, you take a baseline of this, it kind of points out some things to you, then you can decide what improvements you want to put in place and then measure again. That's exactly right. In fact, many people use it that way. Uh, some people use it uh, before they even like, get really going with an agile effort. They may do some basic scrum training and then they start doing this to kind of say, uh, okay, we did some scrum, we understand kind of what it is, but to what degree are we really practicing it? Uh, some people are doing it uh, to kind of reboot their existing efforts. Uh, okay. Some people are doing it just to kind of recheck themselves and say, hey, are we really doing this? And, and to what degree are we doing it? And get some awareness that way. Some trainers will actually use it as an input to a training class. They may say, hey, I'm doing a training class on Scrum. Before we do that, why don't I just send this survey out? And then once Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought that, that would help you figure out what to focus on. Right. On That's exactly That's right. Great. It becomes a really nice input to, to how that class becomes, well, you know, inspect and adapt, actually tailor that class to the needs of that audience. Or, or so, for a company to figure out over the next year, this is the thing that we want to try to improve on. Here's a way to incentivize all the teams so you can push at, you know, whatever greater transparency. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, so this, this, is, this is really where it all starts. So you get all the data, you get the narrative. And, and there's so much we can talk about about the data you have, but you have averages, you have differences between the, you know, the comparison data set, you yeah. have standard deviations, I mean, you have variances, I mean, you have all sorts of interesting ways to, 
kind of look at this. But ultimately, you know, let, don't, don't get bogged down in the data. We always kind of push that. Try to find the, the, the two or three key points that each team is trying to tell you. And then the next step we then recommend you do is that you start actually interacting with the team. And there's two main events we recommend you do. One is what we call kind of a modified open space. And I love open space. I think there's so much great stuff that comes out of that, but I like to modify it a little bit to make it a little bit more targeted. So the way it works for us is that we, we say, okay, now that you know the themes, now you know where the main issues are, why don't you kind of make that the theme of the open space and then start off with, with the what and have the teams kind of say, okay, we're having some issues here regarding, say, too many bugs in an iteration. Uh, how, what does that look like right now? What, what is yeah. going on? And people so it's, all, it's almost like an open space retrospective kind of. That, that's a really good way to say it because that kind of it's what it is. It's really uh, the team reflecting on the results that they just uh, submitted. Is this, is this the team or is this the company or or either? What we typically recommend is that you do it at the team and the program level. Okay. Okay. Uh, so because then, you know, and it depends a little bit about the data. Sometimes if there is a lot of differences between the teams, it may make sense to actually do it at the team level and leave it there. But if you see some co coherence, like yeah. major themes around technical practices and just not working at the program level, then we recommend doing it there. Okay. So you can aggregate the data up and down depending on how you want it. So actually, I want to I want to bring up, because you just made me think of something else. There's a lot of places I go where... Um, the culture is still very bent on, you know, even though they say they're switching to agile, everyone on the team feels like they have to agree to everything and they're always getting work swapped out in the middle of a sprint and they're failing mm -hmm. every sprint and carrying over work. And if you could, from this kind of report, go back to management and say, look, 70 teams all said they feel forced yes. to do, commit to more work than they can do. Yes. This can't be each team broken separately. Exactly. No, no, you're, you're completely right. In fact, this becomes very often what, what a lot of the coaches who work who use this tell me is that, you know what, I, I knew this already. I saw this happening, but now it's quantified and I can now take this and show this to management because very often management will say, well, hey, here's the coach once again crying about something. Uh, and, and if you do your own survey, they will always just kind of say, ah, yeah, you're just making that survey so it fits whatever narrative you have. How, now you can say, okay, we're using the largest independent agile assessment in the industry, and this is what the data tells us. Can yeah. you now please listen to me? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Sometimes you've got to have, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but... No, you need something to back you up. You do. It's almost the same thing as bringing in a consultant to kind of say the same yeah. thing that you yes. already knew, right? You yeah. need a third party. So it gives you that independence. So, so that, that's a big part of it. And then, of course, as you do these modified open space sessions, you get that additional color because then you say, all right, we understand what's happening with these, with these defects or whatever issue it is. And then you start kind of looking at the impact of that. So what's the so what around that? What's the impact? And then later on, the now what? What can we do to fix it? What are the things you as a team would like to do? So let, let us grab that information and listen to you and see if that can become part of our improvement backlog. Yeah. And, and after that, we'd, we'd like to do a little bit of some individual interviews, uh, not necessarily everyone, but say 10, 15%. Do individual interviews to kind of go a little bit deeper, uh, spend 15, 20 minutes, uh, safe environment, confidential, and try to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Very often I will ask things like, what surprised you about the data? You know, what are the, some of the things that the data doesn't tell us? Uh, and you'll be surprised by the kind of stuff that comes out. I mean, sometimes you hear about some of the politics that you would never see through the data. You hear about some abusive management practices. Yeah. I mean, 
all these kind of things comes up. Well, and from a coaching perspective, it's going to um, get you to the help you find the sort of areas you want to target quicker. I mean, when I've gone in and done this stuff, it's just I just ask a bunch of random questions until I see something weird and I go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> this would help me see the rabbit holes ahead of time, and then I could be more focused in my conversations. It, and I think that's a good way to say it. It does, certainly doesn't do the job for you. You still need those awesome coaches, but it helps you focus your efforts a bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes I. Uh, people sometimes ask what this does. And sometimes I say, it's almost like being in a room and the room is completely dark. And now you suddenly have a flashlight and now you can start to say, all right, here's where the chair is, you know, yeah. before that you didn't know. And you just have to feel yourself around and it takes a lot of time and it can be frustrating. This kind of helps accelerate that. Yeah. And, and the last part, and we always recommend doing this too, after you've done this, so you have comparative agility because you have the narrative, you did the open space, you did the individual interviews. Now the last part you do is gather some objective metrics. You know, make sure you get some really solid objective metrics. I prefer things like flow efficiency, get some lead time, get some mean time between build failures. I mean, some basic kind of metrics that is very hard to game but it's going to be really invaluable to you as you start building this continuous improvement strategy. Because now I, just, I want to point something out to the first yeah, please. You said that. He did not say the word velocity at all. <laughs> he certainly did not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah, we could talk, uh, do a whole yeah. podcast on that alone, but no, but that's not the, yeah, I, I really like those, uh, those that can more valuable data. Yeah, they're valuable. They're automated uh, very often. And what I also like about it is that you really can start translating it into dollars because that ultimately is where we need to go as an agile community. We need to be better at communicating in dollars and cents and not just yeah. in you know, story points and velocity and stuff like that. Um, so calls of the day is another thing that I really like us to have. That's not something you do as part of this part, but that's, that's part of what I always do as a as an agile transformation, you need to understand cause of delay so you can start uh, relating this to loss of time and yeah, so not to do something. So, so yeah, so the, in a nutshell, that's sort of the process. Now, the tricky part is now you have this, what do you do next? Well, that's when you have to do a couple of things. Well, A, take action. I mean, that's probably the yeah. most important thing. If you don't do that, you know, people are going to be very... <laughs> very tired of this very quickly and you lose all credibility. This is why it's so important to have executive support for this because that action can be anything from simple stuff that even scrum masters can just do without anyone knowing about it. It's simple, but sometimes it'll be trickier stuff. Sometimes it'll be management issues. Sometimes it'll be cultural issues and some of them may actually require substantial investments. Yeah. So this is where you need management to say, hey, here's what the teams are telling us. Remember those 70 teams we told you about? Here's the themes and here's the actions that we need to take. And now, Mr. or Mrs. Manager, I, I need your support to do these things. Okay. So how do the, can you, I've got two questions before we talk about the book, but can, yeah, yeah. I don't know how big they're going to be though. Can you explain how, I mean, I know you've expanded the tool well beyond Agile. There's all the other capabilities that are listed there, like, you know, um, security and inspired teams and DevOps and things like that. Yeah. How do those, um, how do those play into the use of comparative, using it on the Agile side? I mean, are they yeah. just like complementary things? Do you use them together? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think the short answer is they, they are all, they're not like required, but I think if you think of agility, I think that's part of what's happening is that our industry is sort of changing dramatically from just agile to agility. Yeah. And I think when you think of agility, you realize that it's so much more than Scrum and Kanban or, or even DevOps. It's about 
team performance, it's about leadership, it's about a growth mindset, psychological safety, all these kind of things, which isn't traditionally part of, of Scrum or Agile, at least not the way it was defined. And I think what we're starting to realize is that continuous improvement really is the name of the game here. Agility, at the end of the day, is becoming more agile today than you were yesterday. And whether that is a technical thing or a management thing or a cultural thing, it doesn't really matter. It's about continuously improving the way you work. So you need surveys that cover a lot of these different topics. And okay. I think you'll, you look at some of these capabilities like you know, high-performance team behaviors. Uh, this is something that Richard Kasparovsky recently released for us, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with his work. Yep. If you look at some of the stuff he talks about, it's not scrum stuff. You know, he talks about, are you comfortable confronting each other if there's an issue? Are, are you comfortable talking about things that can be hurtful? You know, the, these are really powerful things that we know actually has a huge impact to the way team operates and the way they perform. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, if you think about sort of that next level of agile is, is, is where we're going. It's really funny. I think in some sense, I think that next generation is where it was happening. Now, I think you think about the first generation of agile, in my opinion, a lot of them were kind of the, 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 the hippies. The yeah, the hippies, the manifestations. <laughs> like Ron Jeffries who are all about love and peace. <laughs> exactly those guys. And super smart people and all that. But you know, they always they came from a software background and 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 maybe they'll be offended if I say this, but I don't I never really saw them as transformation agents. I mean they were more really great software um, and systems people. And then you see that next generation, I think these are people that are standing on the shoulders of, of these yeah. people, but are taking their learnings and the practice of it and seeing how some of this stuff isn't so easy to do in practice, especially not at the organizational level. Uh, I, I think of, uh, of people like Mike Kopmeyer as a good example of that second level. He's a person, not a signatory, but deep into this. He understands yeah. lean and agile, but he's also very practical. He also understands that, yeah, we sure we want to do these things, but it's not that simple in reality. And that needs to have another layer there that needs to happen. And I think that's kind of the next level that's happening now. And I think I, I consider myself one of those people. I, you know, I'm younger than those guys, but I'm still not just a college graduate. And I'm 45 years old. So I have 20, 25 years of practical experience doing this stuff and failing, mind you, many times. So, so that's what we apply now to, to comparative agility. There, there's a lot of things here that has nothing to do with the traditional agile, but everything to do with agility. Yeah. I, I want to mention one thing. So you just mentioned that you're 45 and, and I'm sure people can hear the fire in your voice. Um, to me, that, I mean, that's one of the things about this stuff that I, I find so invigorating is I've been in, I'm sure you have too, lots of offices where they're just like cube farms where people that are 45 are just waiting for the, they're waiting to die in that cube. Like they're, they're just running it out, you know, but the people that, that are pushing, standing on the shoulders of, you know, everybody who came before and driving this stuff, there is a level of passion and a level of fire that that is a very unique and special thing. I mean that that's that's really nice of you to say, and and I think that happens because we've seen it. It's it's almost like we've seen the promised land. I sometimes uh, it's a blessing and a curse because there's there's such a tremendous hype around agile transformation. But but I can say with my hand on my heart that I have gone through at least two what I would consider seriously considerate. And, and, and successful agile transformations. I mean, you could go into, say, Navtech, for instance. Right. You, you went into that company in 2008, and you went into that company again in 2011, and you would not recognize that company. It was 
completely different. The buzz in the office was completely different. The engagement scores were off the chain. Uh, we delivered, you know, initially 36 months was what it take, took us from concept to cash. Now okay. it took us less than six weeks. I mean, wow. these, are, these are very tangible metrics. It totally changed that organization. And once you see that, then it's very hard for you to not go there again. You yeah. want that for people because it, it literally and objectively is it a better way. It changes their lives, yeah. It changes your lives. And there are people, I, I just remember this very vividly. There's, you know, one of the nicest things uh, one person told me, this was, um, she was, she was one of those people that you mentioned. She was in her late 40s, a developer, uh, a little bit uh, chromogeny. Uh, yeah. And, and she told me, and I don't want to swear, but she kind of told me that. Um, you can swear on the podcast. Okay, so, okay, so, so she, she basically just said that, you know, Jorgen, I, I just want to tell you that, you know, throughout my career, I have been so uh, demotivated by all, the, all these freaking change efforts because they never really actually make anything happen. Yeah. It's all the same thing with new labels. This thing freaking worked, is what she said. You actually changed this organization. We did this together, and it is a better place to work. I look forward to going to work now. It, my stress levels are down. <laughs> I mean, and she was, That's talking, awesome. she was talking about the physical impact it had on her life, and yeah. it just it just made all of this. It I mean, fills you up, doesn't it? It really does. It really yeah. does. That's and, and I, I just love. I'd love not selling vapor. I love doing something that is real and, and, and has an and, impact. You know, it has an impact. I, yeah. it, it's, it's about the people at the end of it. That's, that's really it. But hey, if you can also create some business value. <laughs> if you can eat at the same time, that's always good. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's talk real quick about the Scrum Alliance and then I want to get to the book. So yeah. can you explain the relationship between your tool and the Scrum Alliance? Yeah. No, I, this is really exciting. I, I'm really pumped about this. So the Scrum Alliance, uh, you know, part of what they're doing, and, and you probably noticed it, is that they are working hard to become a thought leader in the space. They, they don't want to be, you know, just another certification engine. There's, there's so many other certifications that are coming out there, although the CSMs and above, I mean, that's sort of the gold standard. Yeah. But there's a lot of competition now. You can tell, you know, SAFE, PSC, all these other ones. Right. So the Scrum Alliance, is what they're trying to do is to say, why don't we up our game a bit and, and actually listen to our customers, the, the certificates, the people who have certifications, and not just give them a community and all those kind of things. Let's also give them some tools that can differentiate them from the rest of the people out there who have yeah. a certification. And, and so what we're doing right now is that we have a community uh, of CSPs. So, so the first thing we did is that made sure that every CSP and up has a free subscription to, to Comparative Agility. So they can go in there and it doesn't cost them anything as long as they have a CSP and up. Uh, and then they can start using this for their clients. Uh, and, you know, as, as an, as a, cause the thing about CSPs and up, they're typically coaches. They're not just scrum masters. Right. And, and having this data helps them do the kind of things we just talked about. It, it differentiates them from other, uh, other types of, of coaches. In addition to that, we're, we're creating uh, personal assessments. So we're saying, Hey, if you're a scrum master, how cool would it be if you can start comparing yourself to other scrum masters and who is going on their journey and not share this with anyone else, just use it for yourself as wow. part of your own continuous improvement journey and say, how am I doing? If you think about the things that we expect and the things that you need to do to be a good scrum master, there are certain things that we look at, right? And we look at facilitation, communication, all those different things. How am I doing and where do I need to, to focus my efforts? And what are the resources that I can use to get better at this? So kind of like if you think about fitness apps and things like yeah. that, it's, it's that kind of idea. 
uh, at a role specific basis. So that, that's, that's awesome. going to be rolling out next year. So yeah, I'm really excited to work with them. They are, there's, I mean, they're just awesome people. And, and then people that are on the committee, so many great questions, so, so much insights. They're just dying to get more data to work on this. Well, that's excellent. All right. And so anybody who's a, a CSP can get access through their dashboard on the Scrum Alliance website. Um, but beyond that, they can go to comparativeagility.com and they can learn more about the, the tool itself. That's exactly right. That's exactly okay. So let's talk about the book. Oh, <laughs> that's awfully nice of you to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so this, if this, if the tool is going to help you figure out where things might you know, you might be able to move the needle one way or the other, and that might help you get more business value out of your practice. I love, I love the way you said agile is something you become more of, but people still need to know how to do that. That's right. That's right. And, and by the way, that wasn't my quote. That was Mike Cohn, who, who at least was the first person that said it, uh, where, when I noted it. I'm sure other people have said it before him too. But at the end of the day, Agile is about continuous improvement. And, and, and you're right. It's not something you become. You become more. I, I like it as a, as a, you know, sort of a, twist on when people say you have to be agile you can't do agile um i like that you know you're never going to be all the way there because like that's right. say, am i agile enough but the answer is always no that's, that's, ex <laughs> that's exactly right and that's really hard for executives to hear yeah. <laughs> when you try to sell that business case uh that, that is hard but once they realize it, it really this is a mindset this is a way of us of working and and it's not going to be a project that just ends um then then they start and of course that's why you need the metrics and, and you need the, the monetary value to back up and say, hey, look at what we did now. We were able to shrink that lead time. And that has a real uh, impact to our bottom line. That's when they see, oh, keep going. This is good. Yeah. So, so yeah, Unlocking Agility, that, that was the book that ultimately is the book I wish I had in, in 2008 when I started doing Agile Transformations. And I was... You know, timing, opportunity, and luck, right? I mean, there's there's certain things that just happen sometimes, and you're in this position yeah. that you probably didn't deserve to be in, but but you're there, and then uh, it just changes your career trajectory. And that, that's what happened to me. I I was in a very fortunate position to have a CEO's backing to do an agile transformation, and, and that was with Navtech, and it happened at a time where I had just prepared sort of a framework of myself of how we, we could actually do this. It was all theoretical. I'd never tried it before, but I, I could see it work. And uh, as it happens, because uh, they were desperate enough, uh, he, <laughs> he gave me the mandate to do it. Uh, and he said, hey, um, you know, Jorgen, we, we, need, we need help here. And we, we didn't have any great answers. Uh, they had a crisis, which is very often, unfortunately, necessary to make this happen. Yeah. And, and he said, hey, uh, and he looked around the room. This was at a, at a boardroom. He looked around all the direct reports. There was the head of finance, HR, uh, facilities. I mean, you had all these different departments. And, and they said, hey, um, what do you guys think? Are, you, are we going to do this together? And, and they were like, well, they knew that if they said no, they would have to come up with better ideas themselves. And they didn't have any. So they essentially said yes, which meant that this became a corporate initiative. Okay. Uh, we're going to go agile. Uh, it, my team was leading it. Uh, we, we call it an AWG, an agile working group, uh, which I was the product owner of. And then all the other departments became part of that backlog. They all wanted to help us. HR was saying, how can we help this organization be more agile? Finance would say, how can we help this wow. organization be more? And it's so different from what typical transformation yeah, Usually are. they're doing the opposite. Exactly. <laughs> how can we hurt? <laughs> exactly. So, so what I what I thought I should do is to document this and and make sure that 
this is something that people need to have a chance to read because I think very often it's just not done that way. And very often it, it's sort of, it's either top down or it's bottom up and that actually doesn't work either. You have to have that nexus, which is, you know, that agile working group, that engine of that change, but you have to have the backing of the CEO. And I'm not saying just the VP, it's a CEO because it is a transformation and you need the grassroots movements to, to actually do this. And then of course you need the budget to be able to put it all in, in action. And so, yeah, so I put together the book. I talk about the why that was, uh, I spent a little bit of time on that. And then I talk about the what, which is sort of the, the five main dimensions of agility. I talk about the technology, which is typically what people focus on only, but that okay. needs to be there. Uh, then I talk about the organizational design, uh, then people, which is a pretty major thing, leadership, uh, and then ultimately culture and how these things uh, interact with each other. Uh, and then ultimately I give a roadmap for how things can get done, sort of a blueprint. Uh, of course, being careful not to be too granular because it's different for every context. Right. Uh, and ultimately talk about uh, how, how we did it. So so people can take that as a, as a way to get started. There's tons of resources in it. I spent a lot of time on research. So I give you, you know, enough to get going. And then if you want to really get deep, you can, or you can get more. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm happy with the book. I mean, it took me forever to write, but uh, I'm glad it's finally out there. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I hope it can help some people. All right. And so they can find it on Amazon, I'm sure. And, yeah. and any, any, any place in particular you want folks to go look for it? I think Amazon's probably the easiest. Uh, they okay. have some good deals there usually. Uh, it's on the, in Mike Cohn's signature series, so it's pretty easy to find. And, and yeah, it's, it's out there right now. It came out in October. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's worth having a look at at least. If cool. All right. Thank you. And so you've got some of, I know you're going to be at a lot of conferences and stuff. Anything in particular you want to highlight that's coming up? Yeah, I think the one that, that there's Agile India coming up in March. I'm really okay. excited to be part of that. We're going to do a workshop on uh, on the book, uh, Unlocking Agility. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, there's, of course, uh, the Scrum Gathering in Austin in May. Not Minneapolis, Austin. Much <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was the big uh, snow apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. I was there too. That, that was, was terrible. Fun. Uh, that yeah. was something else. I don't think you'll be snowing in Austin. Hopefully so. not. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we'll be at the Agile 2019 in Washington. Uh, that's in August uh, yeah. next year. Uh, we'll definitely be there as well. So, okay. yeah, excited to meet everyone. And and uh, it, that's the thing about our community. We're we're so for, we were so fortunate, Dave. I mean, yeah. the people here. It, there's there's just so much sharing and there's this so much friendship. So yeah, it's a supporting in, in environment. I love that. About and that. people that are all excited about helping each other, I think is yeah. one of the best parts of it. I totally um, agree. So what if they want to get in touch with you directly? Yeah, the easiest way, I guess email. I know that sounds really old school, but I, I do read those things still. Okay. Uh, it's it's Jorgen, J-O-R-G-E-N, at comparativeagility.com. Okay. So, yeah, just Jorgen at comparativeagility.com. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, otherwise, I do have a Twitter account that I every two months uh, update. Uh, <laughs> and that's uh, at Jay Hesselberg. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I think the email is probably the easiest way. Okay. I'll put links to both those in the show notes. So thank you very much for time. This was great. And, and uh, hopefully I'll see you this spring. Oh, we definitely will meet each other. No doubt. Thank you so cool. much, Dave. Thanks. <laughs>